I don't I don't know if you care about this stuff, but but I have been told that there is like a big game that's happening next Sunday. Some of you heard about it. The Super Bowl deal, yeah. I want to know if any of you are going to be voting or uh, cheering for Pittsburgh, the, the Steelers. Uh, all right, all right. Not very many, but you are vocal. You, you, the Steelers, the Raiders, and the Seahawks. I, I know. We have the section right over here. How, how about the Cheeseheads, the Green Bay folks? Any? Yeah. I got to, yeah. If we believed in gambling, we'd do all right setting up a bookie thing out here. But we'd, we're not going to go there. We'd, we're out of the box in a lot of our thinking. But... Uh, you know, there's really, there's very, very few vices that we can even get close to around here because, you know, we all come from such sordid pasts that we don't want to do anything to trip anybody up. And so that decaf espresso bar is as strong as it gets around here. Even the communion is juice here. We want you to know we're, we're, we're creating an environment for success for everybody. Well, hey, uh, next week, some of you are going to watch the game. And, uh, and are you like me, like an expert at football? expert. Now, I've been told that the game's going to be won on the field at the Super Bowl, but I've also been told that many people believe that it's actually already been won, that it's been won in the cafeteria where these guys eat, write, and apparently lots. It's been won in the office where they plan the game. It's been won on the practice field because these guys are in amazing physical condition because of what they eat and how they practice. That's what I've been told. Now, I'd like to show you a picture of myself next week when I'm experiencing the Super Bowl. That's, that's me. I am there on purpose. It has a lot to do with my eating and a lot to do with my practice. You understand. But have I ever developed what I think is world-class expertise when it comes to football? On every play, I will tell the referee whether or not he got it right. I'll be able to tell the coach if the play was brilliant and if it turned out well, it was brilliant, and that's exactly what I was thinking. If the play did not turn out well, I'll say, the stupid coach, and i tell him exactly what I would have called. I will critique every player because I know, I think, a lot about this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's me at the Super Bowl. By the way, Dan, if you didn't get your tickets, you and Patty can still go. Cheap seats are available for two grand apiece. Or if you'd like to bless Patty with a better one at 9700 you can get them on StubHub right now. All four of you are going. Excellent. Well, I, uh, I know there wasn't a Super Bowl 2,000 years ago, but I've opened my Bible to Matthew chapter 7. And in just a moment, we're going to read together a few verses at the end of this amazing cultural experience. It was as big a social cultural event as the Super Bowl might have been up in Galilee, the north part of of Israel where Jesus was raised. In fact, as far as we know, this was the largest crowd that he ever spoke to in any of his talks. We do know that it's the longest message that Jesus ever spoke, at least that was recorded. He was up on a mountain and people were seated apparently in kind of a reverse amphitheater. So they were kind of down the hill and he was speaking to them. And in this long message that we rather unimaginatively call the Sermon on the Mount, get it? Yeah, right. He messed with everybody. I mean, everybody. If they thought they were going to come and hear the great preacher do this kind of fun, you know, encouraging, nice little talk thing, he messed with them. Everybody got messed with. And at the end of the message, now, had he gone to, like, seminary, like I did for a while, he would have known better than ending it this way. He would have known that at the end of the message, you bring everything together in kind of a nice summary 
and you tie it all together, and there's a sweet little bow at the end, and then everybody goes away feeling good. Isn't that how you give talks? Inspired and happy. He missed that course in Galilean seminary. In fact, he ends this huge talk where people are already undoubtedly agitated or at least seriously thinking about this stuff. And he says, I want to tell you that at the end of things, there's going to be people who come to me and they're going to present themselves like we were good buddies. And some of them are going to look really good and sound really good, but this is what's going to happen. Because some of them are fake and some of them are real. And I want you to be aware of the fakes, and this is how you can tell a fake. Some are going to come at the end, and they're going to say to me, Lord, Lord, hey, Jesus, I cast out demons in your name, he says. And she says, and I prophesied in your name. Another little group says, hey, Lord, good to see you. We did miracles in your name. And Jesus said, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to look at them and say, I've never known you. Go away. Hmm. Missed the Dale Carnegie course. But he's not done. The last paragraph of this great message is what we read. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. If you care to look there in your uh, Bibles, 24, or I think it may be on the screen and it's on your helpful hits, hints sheet as well. Let's follow along as I read, would you? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a man who built his house upon a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it was found foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against it, that house. And it fell with a great crash. The end. Period. Jesus walked off the mountain. And they said, whoa. This guy speaks with great authority. Mm-hmm greatest message in the world ends with the word crash. That's an inspiring thought to leave on, isn't it? Woo! What was Jesus doing here? He was describing how easy it is for his followers to become big-headed, full-of-it couch potatoes. That's what I think he was describing. He was defining what true followership of Christ. These people were originally called disciples, students of they were called Christ followers, and later they were called Christians, the name that we kind of all got stuck with and works reasonably well for most of us. But he was describing that what really differentiated true from false followers were two little words. In this story, they had three qualities, two in common and one which differentiated them. The first quality in common was that they were all hearers of Jesus' words. They all showed up. The second thing they had in common was that they all constructed a house, a metaphor of life. They had built a house. And just looking at the house, there was nothing to be able to differentiate between the two houses. But when the storms of life, when agony, tragedy, difficulty, confusion, pain came their way, 
they discovered that there was a very different foundation. And one house stood and one house crashed. And what was the difference? The house that stood, they not only heard, but they heard his words and put them into practice. And the house that was built out of Jesus' words on the sand were those who did not put them into practice. That's about as heavy as life gets right there. That's the big deal. Now, lest you were to suspect that that's not true, let me give another one to you. You're familiar with the book of Hebrews, amazing book. At the end of chapter 5, the writer is getting a little bit frustrated with people because, well, because they're not growing up. You know, Rachel's really, really cute at 10 months today. But, you know, if Rachel is exactly the same little girl that was dedicated today two years from now, mommy and daddy are going to be a little concerned that she's not growing up. So the writer to the Hebrews is concerned because he's saying, you're still like infants that can just drink milk and you should be eating solid food, maturing. And what differentiates from Christians who move from milk to solid food? Who by practice have trained themselves, it says. It's all on the practice field. So as today we come to this Peace in our five-week series, uh, number four, a feast with Jesus, spending one-on-one time with Him. The big deal about the talk today as we finish this acronym of SOAP, S-O-A-P, last week Ann unpacked the first two pieces, S for Scripture, we read some Scripture, and O for observation, we make observations about what that means, and now today application for A and, and P for prayer. This application piece is absolutely critical. It becomes the difference between staying the same and being transformed. It's the difference between becoming a spiritual egghead, knowing lots of stuff because you just eat and feed and feed and learn with bodies and limbs that are shriveled and incapable of loving others because we haven't practiced. And as we take a look at this piece about application, I'm going to ask you to look here on your helpful hint sheet under what to do, this great couple of verses in James chapter 1. He says it this way. And for those of you that don't mind reading out loud, would you read out loud boldly with me all together? Ready, go. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Ah, sounds familiar, doesn't it? So I love this metaphor. In Jesus' teaching, it's a metaphor of a house. And how are we going to build the foundation? The foundation has everything to do with applying His Word in our lives. James' metaphor is of looking in a mirror. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, you're more attractive and more handsome than I am. But when I get up in the morning, I, I don't want to, to remember what's in the mirror. That, that's not my best image. And there's times throughout the day when I have an ugly attitude and I misbehave, and I demonstrate harshness towards someone else, 
or I am rude or indifferent, and I glance in the mirror. I don't want to remember what I look like. What's all this thing about look in the mirror and don't forget what you look like and walk away? Oh, this is a beautiful, beautiful story. This is what James says. When we look in God's Word, it is a reflection of who you really are. Wow. God's destiny for you. If you have accepted God's gift of grace in Jesus Christ and traded your sin, which has created separation in your life from God, with His forgiveness, which removes that separation and links you forever as one of God's children in His love, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you look in God's perfect law, James language, you're looking at who you are. You're looking at the beautiful person, complete in Christ, that God sees when He looks at you. And so we do work, we do act, not to please Him. He's already as pleased with you as He's going to be. Not because we somehow earn points along the way, but so that we close the gap now between our own experience and who God says we truly are. So he says, when you look in God's Word and you read this verse and you understand that I'm still growing toward that, but that's who I'm becoming. When you walk away, don't forget what you saw, but now go live like it. And when you live like it, you close the gap between your current reality and God's beautiful future for you. That's trans formation. It's a miracle. It's not just our effort, but we cooperate. It's a miracle because only God, by His Spirit, can truly transform our lives from the inside out. But you may have met Christians. This has always been a mystery for me. Why do some people that say they love God and even do things like come to church and all that stuff end up just saying such cranky, mean people? I know people that say they've loved God for years and they still just lie like crazy. Do you know any of those people? Don't raise your hand. You might be seated next to them. I don't know. That would be an awkward thing for you on the way home. But you know what I mean? I ask the question, where's the transformation? And that's what we're reading about today. It's in the application of God's Word. Notice the helpful hints that are there for you. The first one is personalize what you've read. So I'm reading God's Word and and I put my name right there in it. So I just flipped open here to Proverbs chapter 19. Should we pick on verse 17 and see how it works? He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Huh. So I'm going to personalize that. When Jared is kind to the poor, Jared actually lends to the Lord, and the Lord will reward Jared for what Jared just did. Ooh, that's a little different spin. The third thing I do is I begin to write down how this, ask myself how this Scripture applies in my life and to write it down or to talk it out if you're more of an auditory person. We want to we go do it. And so right now, I'm just having fun with you right now. Someone who is poor in my life just came to mind. I know what I'm going to go do about just this little piece of that today, just a little piece. I'm not going to fix their problem, but I'm going to extend kindness today 
And then here's this ridiculous promise. Uh, Whatever I give them today in kindness is on loan to God and He's going to reward me back. Is that amazing or what? Now, where does the transformation come? It hasn't happened yet, has it? It happens when I go this afternoon and do that. He who hears my words and puts them into practice. And so we apply God's Word. Let's take a look at the next one, the prayer here. In fact, it's on the other side of your helpful uh, hits. And under Ask for Help, a couple of my favorite verses in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Would, would you be willing once again out loud boldly to read with me? Ready? Go. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work. I love that. Every good work. The hints that are there for us are, at this point, we we ask God to help us use the Scripture in our life, make it a part of who we are. We begin to pray at this point. This isn't where we pray about lots of other stuff. My prayer, usually at this point, in my own daily devotional life, is a phrase or a sentence or at most two sentences. In fact, if you've not been able to be a part of the the previous three weeks and then wrapping it up next week as Isaac comes and pulls it all together, the first couple of weeks we talked about ACTS, the acronym A-C-T-S, A for adoration and C for confession and T for thanksgiving and S for supplication. That's where we pray about the big stuff in our life and around us in our circles of influence. This is the place where we've just interacted with God's Word and we've read a passage or maybe even chapters for some of you. And out of that You're just drawn toward maybe one or two verses. And you take that verse and you begin to unpack it. And now you're at the point of saying, God, I really want this to be woven into my life. I want this to be who I am. Show me what you're saying to me. I want to to listen to what you're teaching me and what you're feeding me. And I'm I'm going to be serious about it. If I'm a writer, I'm going to write it down. If If you journal on your computer or your iPad or your iPhone like I do, you're going to type it in. If you are an auditor, you're going to speak it and you're going to record it. We're going to treasure these words that come from God about how He's calling us to actually not only hear His Word, but do it as well. No couch potatoes allowed. No people with big heads about Bible knowledge that aren't at the same time applying that as well. Whole people equipped for every good work. So one of my buddies about my age, I know some of you are saying, is are old like you? That was nice. That wasn't nice. About my age, he's been here for a few months. In fact, it was about a year ago that he really connected with uh, with Jesus. And he's a regular part of the church. And and he's pretty much on track to doing the four things that we invite regular attenders here to do. In fact, if you're a guest with us, just let me take 30 seconds to kind of fill you in. Uh, this place is busy all the time around here during the week, but, but we don't let anybody be here all the time during the week. We're very streamlined and focused because we have to be out there in God's world loving people. And so there's only a few things that we ask people to do. Number one, we, to, to have devotions daily. That's what we're talking about here. Self-feeding with Jesus. Don't just come, don't just come weekly and have a, a, a buffet. Everyday feast with Jesus. Devotions daily. 
worship weekly, what we're doing here, group regularly, got to tie up into a group of people, and tithe consistently. That's one plus one plus one plus one equals a ten relationship with Jesus. So he's really buying in, and it's been fun to watch his growth and development. So a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, Jared, I've really never spent any one-on-one time with Jesus, this feasting stuff. But he said, uh, I've been working on that the last couple of weeks. And he said, and I get to this point about hearing what God is saying to me. And he says, I, I don't get that at all. And I, he said, that's kind of confusing for me. And I, I, I've tried a couple of times kind of listening, but it's quiet. And, and then I have some thoughts and I go, ah, those are just my thoughts. And sometimes I feel some things and I go, that feels a lot like the way I feel. And, and I said, I am so glad that you're on this journey. By the way, have it, you don't have to vote on this, but, but we've, we've all met people, haven't we, that purport to hear God, and then they go do goofy things. And, and that's probably all by itself enough for some of us in genuine humility and in loving service to others to not want to goof up. But you know what? That's a lame excuse. It's understandable, but it's a lame excuse. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So if you're a part of his in this agricultural metaphor, if you're a part of his flock, Jesus is talking to you. And furthermore, you are actually hearing his voice. So none of us are off on the hook. All of us hear his voice. And all of us get to listen to what he's saying. While at the same time, thank God, we carry this sense of humility about that because we know that though he speaks well, we don't necessarily listen all that well. So this is what I said to my buddy. I said, I'll tell you what. We always, uh, after the service out, out in the lobby, hook up for 30 seconds or a, a minute maybe. And I said, I want you to practice listening. And then I'll be one of the people in your life each work week that you bounce these ideas off. I said, but think with me for a minute. If you've just spent some one-on-one time with Jesus, I mean, maybe this was seven minutes and, and maybe it was 47 minutes, but you're spending your one-on-one time with Jesus and you've just expressed adoration for his wonder and goodness and you've just confessed what's come to mind, which really was you're not being like Jesus in the past recently and just getting things right. And then you've thanked him for his love and his goodness and the answers to prayer that you've been praying and his provision and care for others that you love. And then you've prayed about things. Peter says it this way, we cast all of our care on him because he cares for us. And you've just gotten all of that burden stuff off of your human soul and rolled over on Jesus. And now you're experiencing the sense of a lack of anxiety and peace and confidence that he really is caring for that. I said, and then you open up God's Word, or in his case, listening to it on a CD while he's driving because he's more of an auditory. And you just hear God's Word, and there's a verse or two that particularly you're drawn toward. And you begin to unpack that and make observations about it and begin to apply it to your life. And and now you're at this prayer thing, and you're saying, God, I'm asking you to just help me live this out with courage and boldness and clarity. And I said, in the quietness of that moment, where you've just spent that kind of one-on-one time, isn't that probably the best time of your whole day to maybe trust that his voice to you might be getting through? So I said, do this, because this is new. When you get to that point and you stop and you listen, 
And thoughts come to mind. And they're very likely going to be thoughts that come right out of and are aligned with Scripture. And maybe or maybe not, there'll be a sense of emotion that's attached to that. You've got to write those down. And write them down and think about them and the next day pray about it or record it and listen to it back and talk to some friends about it. Or if it wasn't something that came right out of Scripture for the day, talk to some other people that have been around God's Word longer and bounce it off of them and they'll let you know how that lines up with Scripture. And when you see me on the weekend here, bounce it off of me as well because I said this, this is what I know. You are one of His sheep and He's speaking to you and He is planning to get through And he's destined for you to hear his voice. And this is where we hear from him. Isn't it interesting that Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount talked about people who were doing very powerful things and powerful things that we want to be a part of our life and experience and are. This prophesying and casting out demons and doing miracles. May the power of God's Spirit be demonstrated and evident. Don't we want everything that God wants in and through us absolutely in loving people in His world? But isn't it interesting that that wasn't the sign of spirituality, that the true indicator of the true believers were the ones that took what Jesus was saying and then they went out and they lived it and they did it. That's where the power of transformation came to pass in their lives and ours as well. This passion about spending time with Jesus, uh, you've picked up on that, haven't you? I mean, it's not just that this is the fourth of five weeks. This is, this is the big deal. This is a big, big deal for us. And wherever you are in the process, maybe like the friend I just described This week is really the first time in your life that you're giving attention to doing that one-on-one feeding. It's just now really dawning on you that we are physically healthy because we tend to eat regularly, right? And it wouldn't even dawn on us to just eat once a week or two or three times a month because we know that we're designed to eat. Jesus said it this way, man does not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. It's dawning on us that we need to be self-feeders. And if you're an active, vibrant, growing, maturing part of Evergreen, we just assume about you that you're finding your way to be a regular self-eater. Or maybe like some here, for decades you've had a regular personal devotional life. And this week for you will be a time of you refreshing it with some new things that you're doing. But what will be true of all of us is to experience His transformation, is that we will put it in to practice. And He makes all the difference as we do. I want to leave you with a story. It's, it's fun. It's touching for me. It's really fresh. It uh, came off a Facebook message to me three days ago. So when I got this message from... Uh, uh, Jason, I certainly remembered who he was. Man, did I have a lot of thoughts that came to mind. Because my story with Jason started 30 years ago. When Anna and I got married, 23, we started a church. And about three years later, a couple of years later, Jason's mom came to church. Uh, young, single mom, Jason, about five, 
older brother, a couple of years older. They're half-brothers. And uh, mom brought a lot of stuff with her, just a lot of life's baggage and hurt. But she found a community of faith that loved her and her two boys, and she continued to come. And it wasn't very long before she really discovered that Jesus' claims of love on her life were true, and she accepted Jesus as her Savior. She was just a simple transaction, but powerful and eternally profound in a service like this on a Sunday. She just, at the end of the service, said, Jesus, I don't know everything about you, but I know that you love me. I know that you died for me. I know that you came to life for me, and I receive your forgiveness for my sin. And that started her journey. Her life began to change, and she lived in a crummy little house. She had a car that was broke down half the time. People in the church were always trying to patch it together so she could get around. And She and her kids were on public assistance. It was fun to watch her story move forward as she went to school, got some training, got a great job. She was so proud of that. She should have been. We cheered her on. Jason and his brother, they were a little slower to the party. They, these were not nice church kids. You know what I mean? They're the kids that you've been listening to. No, they haven't happened today, but you, you know what I'm talking about. They didn't really get with the program. They, I'm sure that they caused their teachers, Sunday school teachers, kids' ministry teachers' prayer life to be dramatically improved. You know, just facing them for an hour and 15 minutes was going to be a project of the week. We lost track of the kids. Got to perform the wedding for the mom as she met a guy who came from a similar kind of difficult background. They're, they met Jesus. Their lives were transformed. It was fun to watch their romance develop. It was such a privilege to get to officiate at their wedding. But we lost track of Jason. Speed ahead 15 years. I was um, out at the Life Pacific College campus in Southern California. I think I was chairman of the board of directors at the time and had given a talk to the student body and then was hanging out with the students in the cafeteria. I was sitting around a couple of big tables jabbering with students. And then this Noticed out of the corner of my eye, this guy was coming my way, and, and I knew that he was, he was violating about 15 policies, just how he was dressed and walking. And so I'm drawn toward colorful people. And so I immediately had all of my attention, and here comes this guy over there, and he comes over, and he gives me a big old hug, and he said, Jared, I bet you don't remember me. And I looked at him, and I said, I don't think I do. And so he... I said, I'm Jason, and it all came together 15 years later. Jason at Bible college. Can you imagine that? And we slipped off together, and we had a little bit of chat, but I discovered it was not working out well for him. In fact, he was on his way out, still not fitting into the whole church, nice scheme of things very well. Ten years later, three days ago, I get a Facebook from him. I'd like to share it with you. Jared. I want to thank you for taking the time to meet with me a few years back. Belated thank you. It was definitely one of those full circle moments in my life. I also wanted to take the time to get you caught up on a few things in my life. I started a church with a few friends three years ago. Since then, I've gone back to Life College to finish my degree. I graduate in May. I'm not sure why, but I am astounded every day that God has brought this part of my life full circle. I'm sure you can remember why this is so profound for me, since as I shared with you, the last go-around did not go that well for me. 
I'm getting straight A's. I'm pretty pumped about that. I've also decided to get my ministerial license. And this is another part of the process that I I never thought I'd be saying to someone. I filled out the application, and they asked for the pastors of your last three churches. And believe it or not, I've only ever gone to three churches. So I'm hoping to get a phone number from you so I can list it on my application. I hope you don't mind. I hope this letter finds you well. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Jason. Okay. Oh, man. That's why we do this stuff, isn't it? That's why we do this stuff. That's a 30-year story. Went on his website, looked around, Facebook, saw a picture of a gorgeous woman and two beautiful kids, one over on her site, married, family. Wow. That's transformation. That's God finding a mom really on her way nowhere fast, bringing two little kids that only wanted to give people grief. And a a loving faith community that never compromised God's Word, because when we look at it, that's the deal without compromise, but had the kind of grace to help nurture her along while her practice caught up with her identity. And a kid that went off to Bible college and uh, flunked out and messed up and found his way back so that the end of my 30-year relationship with him, he writes as a 35-year-old husband and dad and says, about three years ago, some friends and I started a church. I like that story. Hmm. So I give you hope today. There's some people that you're a little concerned for. Wonder why they're not coming around. This is a God of hope. That's what we sang about today. This is a God of love. That's what we sang about today. Why would we ever not hang out with Him every day? This week, would you join me in making sure this week, sometime, if this is your first week, sometime this week, you're saying, I'm on board. I'm going to spend some one-on-one time with Jesus. Others of you, regular part of practice. Your deal is this week, I'm going to freshen it up a little bit. And I want to, I'd love to see a show of hands just across the room. It might be 100%, doesn't have to be. This is not a you know, consensus deal. But how many of you would say, Jared, I'm going to join you this week. And at least one time this week, I'm going to have some one-on-time Good feasting with Jesus. Hands up all across the room. All right. Yeah. And that's worthy of some applause. Let's encourage one another with that.